Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here with you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, AvenueMachinery.ca. DouglasLakeEquipment.com, and of course, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. They did it again, Drancer. They did it again. Fifth! The fifth 5-1 home defeat of the season. Already pre-Christmas for the Vancouver Canucks. And they had a 5-1 home win, so that they were 5-1 at home by 5-1, or 1-5 at least, <laughs> by 5-1 wins, or 5-1 losses. They did. They beat Pittsburgh 5-1. There you go. Yeah. So... <laughs> The final score reads opponents five, <laughs> yes, Vancouver one. one. It was the five one loss of five one losses. Yes, it was. It was. That's the special number. The magic <laughs> number for the Canucks this year. Uh, is anyone surprised at this point? No. How could you be? No. How could you be? How could you pretend to be surprised about it? Right? Like <laughs> It's always a possibility. It's not always going to happen, but you always know it's a possibility, a strong possibility that something like that unfolds when the Canucks play. We've learned enough. Surely, at this point, we've learned enough about this team to know that that's a possibility when they step on the ice. Yeah, we're at a point, I think, where this market understands or at least believes what this team has repeatedly shown them, right? The question is, does the organization yet? Mm -hmm. You know, there's no... The Blues aren't good. Yeah, and that's and it showed. That's one of the things that's really been hitting me lately. I I said this about the Winnipeg game. I didn't come away super impressed with Winnipeg. No, I look at that St. Louis performance last night. I didn't come away extremely impressed with St. Louis. And you know the way I think I've been thinking about it now is just how easy the Canucks made it for St. Louis. They didn't even have to play that well. They didn't have to play that well to come away with a five-one road win. And they only got one ugly goal. Like they only got one goal. You know, I like to say there's 10 games you win no matter how well you play, 10 mm. games you lose no matter how badly you play. Or, sorry, the opposite, but whatever. 10 games you win no sure. matter how badly you play, 10 games you win no matter how uh, well you play, or lose no matter how well you play. Okay, sick sick comment, there you Trance. Go. That's a good rule. Let's put that rule on the, on the whiteboard so I can read it next time. Anyway, there was only one goal that felt like that from St. Louis for me, and it was the Nathan Walker, the 2-1 goal. Right, The 2-1 goal that St. Louis scored, it's an unscreened rush or a shot. You'd like Martin to have that. But the rest of them, it's like Cairo with time to set it, not just set his watch, but mm-hmm. like take a screwdriver, take his watch apart, <laughs> examine all the pieces individually, put it back together, screw it back in, <laughs> enjoy, the, enjoy the automatic movements on his wrist. Like, come on. Th- those were brutal defensive sequences from this oh, team. Oh, my goodness. And again, the Blues didn't play well. Vancouver's forecheck actually played almost all game. Like, the St. Louis Blues... Well, man, you saw the defensive issues with the Blues, right? Yeah. The inability to... It was. It felt almost in some ways like watching the mirror image, right? Where, totally. Where, oh, this is a team that can, you know, at their best, pick corners, right? They have some really high-end offensive talent, but their defense is a bit of a mess and struggles to move the puck cleanly. That was all on display from St. Louis last night. It's just the Canucks couldn't make them pay. They couldn't take advantage of a disorganized, unstructured, 
even what I say, uh, defense for St. Louis, right? Well, that, that was the difference. And the Canucks were able to cut off their attack at the stem, at least for the first 10 minutes, right? Like, yeah. that's how the Canucks looked so good at the start, or at least decent at the start. I mean, some undisciplined penalties played a big role in Vancouver's territorial control. But, you know, St. Louis, like, St. Louis's defense is the weak spot of their team. It's bottom 10 in the NHL. It's signed for too long. It's too, it's aging quickly. It's long in the tooth. Falk, Pareko, Letty, Krug. Other than Quinn Hughes, is there another Canucks defenseman better than any one of those four guys? I don't think so. Okay. Mikola on the Blues. Yeah, I mean, I would take it, Ethan Bear. Ooh, I don't know. Close. It's close, I think. I, I mean... If that defense is bottom 10, if that defense is a big problem, and there's four guys you'd take ahead of all but one Canucks defenseman, and another guy you'd maybe take two Canucks defensemen ahead of, and that's their, and that's their like, bright shining lights. That's their Achilles heel. They're not good enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, one thing, one thing that sort of concerns me, right? I'm not concerned that this team's not good. Teams sometimes aren't good. The Canucks often aren't good. What concerns me is how monumental the task of building a capable blue line is for this organization. And I do sort of worry, like, Ethan Bear's a nice piece. You remember when he was acquired and I said, he doesn't move the needle. Mm -hmm. And I've had some people in our text inbox dunking on me for that over the last two weeks. But, like, this is kind of what I mean. Like, Ethan Bear's a nice piece. I liked the value for a fifth-round pick. I thought he'd increase his value during his Canucks tenure quite easily. I thought he'd bring something that this team didn't have in terms of puck moving and especially in terms of puck retrievals. He's done that and more. But if Ethan Bear's your second-best defenseman, good for him, yeah, bad for you. You're in trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. You're in a world of trouble. So that's sort of what I meant. Right? This isn't a star defenseman who fixes the issues. Moving the needle is a high bar. Ethan Bear's a nice piece. He doesn't move the needle. Like Both of those things can and are, in fact, true. I am deeply concerned about this more than anything. I still think structurally that this team is set up so that this is the best supporting cast that Pedersen and Hughes will have in their primes. And that's structurally. I'm not saying it's inevitable. You can, you know, fight against it. You can find a way. But structurally, that's the that's the logic and the math of this team's window. With Horvat and Miller being up, Besser having already gotten a raise, Pedersen do a raise in another year, right? Hughes already having gotten and signed his big second contract, plus the commitments made to OEL, the lasting commitments, the lingering commitments to the likes of Pearson and Myers. Mm -hmm. This team is set up so that <laughs> this year in particular is their best supporting cast, their their most robust supporting cast. A lot of key pieces get much more expensive. Some of them much more expensive, some of them just a little bit more expensive, well, but the effect is cumulative. And some of them are going to be gone, it certainly seems like, right? Or more expensive. <laughs> or much more expensive. There's, there's one of two routes that Horvat, either you lose Horvat and are worse. Yeah. This is the logic what I'm talking This is the structural disadvantage I'm talking about. You either lose Horvat and are significantly worse without your captain, leading scorer, and probably your best matchup defenseman. Or, sorry, best matchup centerman. Mm -hmm. Or he takes up two and a half to $3 million more against your cap sheet. I mean, 
plus Kuzmenko, right? Plus whatever else Hoaglander and Bear take up, which is still probably, you know, a million, a million and a half extra space. Like it's not it's not huge, but margins add up quickly Plus, in the in the hard cap. One area. of your biggest minutes, right-handed defenseman, is also a UFA that you have to replace in some way. Correct, and and, and Burroughs too, right? So yeah, I mean, this is this is what really concerns me is that this is a team that's not playoff quality, not playoff caliber, not even close to playoff caliber. You're lying to yourself if you see anything else. And, you know, in fact, if you've been hopeful about this team. I'm curious. Text into the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber inbox. And by the way, I, I hope you're all being safe in the snow and, and yes, driving very carefully. Absolutely. Um, but but text in if you have a moment, if you're if you're not at the wheel of your car, and let us know, like, if you are still team positivity here, what's your evidence? What are you clinging to as a reason? Like, I'm just curious to know. Because I, I can't I can't even empathize with it. Yeah. I just don't see it at all. I don't see a hint of it. I don't see a shadow of it. And this team that's not good now, that's not close to good enough now, is going to be worse without significant good fortune, dead-eye scouting. Like, a variety of things have to go their way to even just, like, stay in place, to run in place, to be like a hamster on a, on a pinwheel, which I know Canucks fans feel like they have been for the last 10 years. That's what, that's what scares me. That's what should scare this organization. You know, that's why, for me anyway, even if the Canucks win the next two, like even if they come out, beat Seattle, beat Edmonton. Because, you know, I saw Dom Lecision's projections today. Mm -hmm. Canucks 10% playoff odds, but he's projecting them for 84 points. Yeah. I will bet the over on that. Happily, contentedly, I would bet the over on 84 points for this Canucks team. Provided, of course, that they don't like trade Horvat at the end of the holiday break. But, I mean, I think on true talent, this is still better. This is a team that's better than that. They're not a playoff caliber, but they're better than that. Which, part of the problem, but we can get into that later. <laughs> we can get into that later. The, po the point that I'm trying to make here is, even though this team is better than they've shown, in my opinion, through 31 games, the results 26th in the NHL by point percentage underrate them. I don't think that their peers are the Chicago's and the Arizona's of the world. I really don't. I think their peers are the Blues. Yeah. I think their peers are the Nashville Predators. It's just that they're probably, you know, they're not clearly better than those teams. No. And those teams are also not playoff caliber. And if you were going to, well, here's the thing. I think, and at least those teams have their best players locked up. At least those teams have some, like, cost certainty. Like, Vancouver's positioned worse than the Blues. And the Blues have achieved something in the last decade. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's so outside the bounds of what can be considered like a typical NHL situation. And and no win streak can cause us to lose every time the club reels off 9-13 and 13 or something, whatever, right? Some, some like modest bump. Like, hey, they've got the 12th best record in the NHL over the last 13 Wednesdays. Whatever ridiculous split you're using. The conversation changes and we ignore the storm forming, the, the Arctic outflow <laughs> forming on the horizon about to absolutely pepper this club. This is the clear and present. This is what this team is. And this is what the future looks like. 
Let's stop and like get ahead of it because it's coming whether you like it or not. And the thing is, basically every piece of evidence that you can look at to try to judge the quality of a team tells you almost an identical story about where this team is, right? Like from the most basic just raw points percentage, which as you said is 26, and the teams below them, Philly, Arizona, San Jose, Columbus, Anaheim, Chicago, right? Like the dregs of the league. Okay? Mm. So it makes sense that they're above all those teams. That's the same story that scoring chance percentage, expected goals percentage, uh, Corsi percentage, they all tell the same story. Goal differential. The only teams they have a better goal differential than are the teams I just mentioned and Montreal. They have a one, they're, they're at minus 19 and Montreal's at minus 20. That's about it. Like, that's it. You, you take those other six teams, right? So Philly, Arizona, San Jose, Columbus, Anaheim, Chicago, Montreal, I feel confident that the Canucks are better than all of those teams. Very confident. So that would put the Canucks at eighth worst in the NHL. Although there's not there's not a single other team that I'm confident the Canucks are better than. Philly is probably the best analogy, not in terms of Vancouver's quality today, but in terms of how bleak the next few years are and how desperate the franchise is to rebuild and how obstinate the organization has been about pursuing the clear and obvious path. But but at this point, I do think, and look, I thought this was undeniable this summer. I thought this was undeniable 12 months ago. I think it's increasingly undeniable. This team needs to rebuild. Like, we are past the point where discussions or conversations or talking points like, hey, can, you know, can you afford to lose Luke Shen from this lineup? Like, I honestly think that argument is so far outside the bounds of what should be common sense. Like, I think that literally you have to have a muddy view of where this team is at and what their trajectory looks like over the next three, four years to even say that in public at this point. And and a lot of people I respect have said that in public over the last two, three weeks. So it's very much a real talking point. I'm not uh, casting aspersions at anyone in particular. I just want to say I literally think that even even saying that out loud is at odds with common sense. Like, it shouldn't be an opinion that anyone's comfortable standing behind. It's completely unjustifiable. Offering Bo Horvat a long-term extension, which this club did three weeks ago, and, and I, I think that's genuinely disturbing. And at least according to Patrick Alvin on After Hours, like, they're not done. He didn't outright say we're going to make another offer, but he said, yo, we'll keep talking. We're going to keep talking. There, there's an entire, there's a very real possibility that they make an improved offer to Bo Horvat. Genuinely, the idea that anyone would look at the, the work of this group and say, hey, let's sink more money in long term. I, I, I say this, by the way, as a huge admirer of Bo Horvat's game mm-hmm. and of Bo Horvat the person. But uh, the die is cast here. You cannot possibly, no organization can possibly be reckoning honestly with what they're seeing from this group and think, hey, we need to spend more, more of this, please. It's impossible to square. You know, and and then lastly, the idea that this team shouldn't be, you know, they're not willing to rebuild. It's coming. Well, as I said, this is this is probably the best roster you're going to have for the next two, three years. And and as I said on the show yesterday, good. You're getting all of the downsides. The, the, the worst case scenarios of rebuilding, right? The things that you look at and say, oh man, we can't risk a rebuild because all of these things might happen. You're getting those. You're missing the playoffs. You're, your fans are frustrated. You're developing a losing culture. All of those things, you're wasting good good years from star young star players. All Great of years. the downsides 
of a rebuild are already happening. But you're just not putting yourself in a position to actually benefit, benefit from it, to, to gain any sort of reward from it. Not to not to refer back to the uh, Red Robin um, <laughs> core values, right? But it's I, how I live my life, buddy. <laughs> I think this is an analogy we made a few weeks ago, right? It's like the house is on fire and they're worried about changing the drapes. That's basically where we're at, right? Like have some urgency Red Robin style yeah. and get to fixing this. There is no, like, I honestly think we already may be baked into a world where this team cannot build the next great, this management group, even if they do good work. Mm. may It may be impossible now to build the next great Canucks team around Pedersen and Hughes as your best players. I don't know that I'm prepared to say, like, for sure. I'm not prepared to say, like, not possible. But but it's getting there. It's yeah. already it's already a thin line you have and, to walk. And to I do think it. I'm I don't want to say bullish, but I am more optimistic with that still on the table. I think in large part just like because of the uncertainty of projecting so many years in the future. You know totally. what I mean? But I like but it's it has gonna, to be a consideration. It also is going to require them to continue like Pedersen, what Pedersen's doing this season, this has to be an every year thing for him. Right? Yep. What Quinn Hughes did in, a couple of years ago, what he showed last year, that has to be the bare minimum for him, right? It can't. We can't have these vacillations in performance from your elite players if they're going to carry this team towards something better, particularly because it's going to take a few years, given Vancouver's contractual commitments, given their lack of overall, given their lack of overall. Uh, <laughs> Uh, flexibility, cost certainty, lack of prospects, I mean, on and on. All the things I like to list all the time. Because they're true to the fundamental health of this organization. I think there's a real chance that that horse has already left the barn to continue to mix metaphors. <laughs> so, but if you're even going to accomplish that, you better get busy rebuilding. You gotta start now. You gotta start, you gotta start now because they're not getting younger. I'm 24, 23? You basically have two years. Two well, and years. That, and then again, I think, you know, there's one of the arguments against rebuilding that you sometimes hear is, well, you can't punt on years of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. But again, you're doing that. You already you're have. punting on these years. And I, I think the way in. to frame it is if there's if we have any chance of doing right by those players of actually building a good team around them, then we gotta do some painful things now to make it possible. Like that's that's not something you do that causes harm to Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. That's something you do to help them. That's something you do for their benefit, to give them a chance to be part of a great team here in Vancouver. I think that's how we have to start looking at it right now. And, you know, the, the, the other thing I wanted to say about last night's game specifically, and, you know, this is, I'm trying to try to approach this of judging things based on the standard that we hear from the team, right? That the standard, the, the standard that the team sets for itself, from the front office to the coach, to the players. And I think back to when they made the regime change last year, just over a year ago now, and we heard from Stan Smeal, and he spoke so passionately and so well and so powerfully about how much this organization means to him and how much he wants to help it to succeed. And one of the things he said was, talked about building that identity of what it means to be a Canuck and being hard to play against. And that phrase comes up all the time. And it's not just from Stan Smeal. It's from people at all all levels of the organization, again, from the front office to the players, right? Of having that goal as kind of a baseline thing. That's going to be a foundational thing for us. We're going to be hard to play against. 
man, you watched that game last night. They could not be easier to play against right now. Like, St. Louis did whatever they wanted in the offensive zone. Teams must just be salivating at the prospect of coming in and playing the Canucks at Rogers Arena. It's like a treat. It's like a special day. It's like a field trip for teams coming into Rogers Arena right now. That's how easy it is to play against the Canucks. And I just think about think about how far they are from their, their stated goal, right? This is not us creating this standard. This is the team's stated goal of being hard to play against. They are nowhere close. And that's the baseline goal. That's not the end point. That is literally the first step. That's the baby step on the road to getting to where you ultimately want to go. And they're nowhere clear, nowhere close to accomplishing it right now. If you can't even get to that point, right? To the being hard to play against. How are you going to do all the more difficult things? How are you going to compete for a Stanley Cup? How are you going to be a perennial playoff team? If you can't even check that box. And again, this is purely by their own standards. What we've heard is important to them. They're nowhere close. Could not be farther away from being hard to play against right now. It was that was a walk in the park for the Blues in the offensive zone last night. That's what I wanted to say. And and a walk in the park on a nice day, not today. <laughs> they weren't even bundled up. It was like breezy no. in the summer. You cannot be hard to play against in the contemporary NHL if you can't control the puck. Period. Period. Like this team, this team could use some more size, but this team never has the puck. Ever. You know, I, like I saw some some people were talking about how JT Miller's leads the Canucks with 22 giveaways, which is way lower than some of the best players or some of the turnover leaders who also happen to be the best players mm. in hockey. And it's like that's not a good thing. Yeah, because this team never has the puck. Look up who leads the NBA in turnovers every year. It's like Steph Curry, LeBron, LeBron James, James. Yeah. yeah, Kevin Durant. It's basically a proxy. <laughs> James Harden. Yeah, it's a proxy. They always have for, the ball. It's a proxy for control. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, you know, this team doesn't have the puck enough to be hard to play against. They don't. You know, it, it's one thing to look like you're working hard, right? And 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 you are working hard. These are NHL players. Like, the guys who look tough, even if they're not preventing goals against, they are tough. They are working hard. They're incredible sure. athletes across the board. But that's not hard. That's not necessarily how you are hard to play against as a team. You need to be able to possess the puck. And the gulf between the Canucks and the teams that are, every time you watch this team play, it's just so obvious. Just look how other teams attack as a five-man unit off the rush. Look at what other teams are able to create against the Canucks on the rush. Look at how defenders activate from the blue line down. Like, I honestly haven't seen a team so obviously at odds with how the game has evolved in this city since the John Tortorella season. Like, the John Tortorella season, and Tortorella changed his stripes a bit after he lost the job in Vancouver. But it was like such ridiculous hockey. It was so outside the bounds of how every other team was playing. Right? There were like long sequences where they'd stop the puck behind the net. You had star players playing 25 minutes while everyone else was rolling four lines. Like, yep. well, that four line rolling rev revolution was really starting. You had Tom Sestito as an every game player. Right? Like, it was really throwback hockey. And guess what? The Canucks got skated off the ice. 
game in, game out, particularly late in the season after their star players predictably wore down. I mean, this is what this looks like to me. Like, the way that the Canucks attack as a team, the way that they move the puck from the back end out, the way that Ethan Bear came and everyone's like, oh, wow, oh, oh, oh my yeah, God. I haven't seen much of that. Again, Ethan Bear should not be able to completely flip your paradigm of what defensemen can do. But that's that's where this team is. That's where this team is. They, And this is mostly on the past management group. Categorically failed to build even a, a, a below average NHL blue line. It's one of the league's worst. And it's one of the league's most expensive. And it's got one of the league's top 15 defensemen on it. I mean, it's hard to be that bad with all of those things in your favor. And yet this team has done it. And, you know, this again comes back to my concern that this is the best version of this team. Rutherford has won with some of the least inspiring blue line groups in NHL history. I get nervous that new Canucks management hasn't quite, or at least hadn't quite, maybe they have now, haven't quite wrapped their heads around just how hapless this blue line group is. Just how far away a group with Luke Shen in the top four, God bless him, great great guy, performed well, limits his mistakes, not a top four defenseman. Nope. Oliver Ekman-Larsen, Tyler Myers, both of whom have taken a big step back after being really good for Boudreaux down the stretch last season. It's been tough to watch. I don't know that either guy's on more than a third pair on a really good team at this point. Kyle Burrows is absolutely one of this team's four best defensemen. That shouldn't be the case. I think he's an everyday caliber player, but man. (laughs) This team is so far away precisely because of how far away they are on the blue line. And I, unless management really internalizes that, recognizes it, and begins to take drastic action to salvage what is effectively a wreckage of a hockey club, both right now and for the future, I think it's going to be a long decade in this city. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Drance asked you to text in if you are seeing any reasons to be positive with this team. We'll read some of those responses on the other side. Keep your thoughts coming in. I want to talk about Niels Hoaglander as well, uh, of course, with the news that he has been sent down to the Abbotsford Canucks. More coming up. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, live from the Kintech studio, and 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. I hope everyone is, uh, if you are on the roads, you're being safe, you're keeping safe, Uh, taking your time, and if you are not on the roads, I hope you are, you know, having as relaxing a snow day as you possibly can right now. So Drance threw it out there, right? If Because, you know, we were talking about how... Did we get a single serious response? Well, we'll get to that in just a second. How hard it would be to, like, be surprised with the types of performances that we see from the Canucks on a regular basis, that we saw against Winnipeg, that we saw from St. Louis, right? Like, there there can be no surprise, because we all pretty much know what this team is. And you asked, like, if there are still people kind of hanging on to team positive and, hey, they're good, they're going to get on a run and they're going to get back in this playoff race to text in. 
And, you know, we got not not a lot of real ones. I might be able to find one or two here. I did want to read uh, this one. Oh, man, there's so many that I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. Uh, but uh, we got some good jokes one joke ones, first of all. This one comes in unsigned. I'm positive that I'll continue to have more free time to do more productive things instead of watching Canucks games. So far, I've been able to build my dog a new house and clean my house's gutters. A much more rewarding use of time. You know when you're going to cleaning gutters instead of watching hockey, that uh, things are pretty dire. Along those same lines, uh, reasons to be positive. More time with the family because I'm not watching Canucks hockey. Perfect. Perfect for around the holidays, right? Maybe that's positive for you. For- <laughs> uh, this is the one I was looking for. John on the Island texts in, Hardcore fan here. I always hated the Drance depression spewing, but I'm finally defeated and can admit he was right all along. Well, you, you know, go, Drancer. You, you, well, you, you converted know, one. You converted one. You know that makes me like the Grinch. Like, cue up the X-ray because my heart might grow <laughs> five sizes. You're like, uh, although, although I'm sure there's still a lot of people who wouldn't touch me with a 39 and a half inch pole. <laughs> foot? Is it foot? 39 and a half foot pole. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's what extreme. a harsh, what a harsh yeah. own. That song, man. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's serious. All time diss track. <laughs> it is serious. Uh, you would be a good subject for that song, actually. Yeah, but I, that I think about it, like, what is it like? Your soul is like an a, a, an appalling trash heap or something like that. It's brutal. Stink, stank, stunk, my friend. Stink, stank, stunk. That's what the Canucks did last night. That was uh, that was stink, stank, stunk in a big way. Uh, this tag, okay, this one comes in, and I was trying to figure out if this was like a trying to find the silver lining or actually excited text. But I think this is the closest we got to legitimately positive. This one comes in team positives. At least five to eight real tradable players, which right there. (laughs) At least five to eight real tradable players. We have like maybe a half dozen guys that we could trade. (laughs) Great. Are any of them on Uh, more than a one-year contract? Yeah, it says even their present UFAs are pretty good ones, which is like a curse and a and a blessing. Sorry, what does that ways. mean? I, oh, like Ilya Mikheyev? No, I think he probably means like Bo Horvat, like Bo Horvat, Kuzmenko, Shen, that you could at least like flip them for something. I think. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm having a little trouble uh, parsing this one. Okay. Because he also says uh, that they have some really good prospects, which is... N- not true. Categorically false. Not true. So Cat- no, no, categorically false. So this one comes in. You know, lots they have of po- they have a relatively high end guy in Lekkermaki. If we want to cons- consider Vasily Podkolzin there, like here's the thing with Vasily Podkolzin. He's either not a prospect. He's either graduated mm-hmm. or at risk of becoming concerning because he's not a point per game guy in the A at the age of 21. So pick your poison. Klimovich is an interesting lottery ticket, but has a lot of development to go. He's like, you know, there's teams oh, yeah. that would there's teams that would pay very modestly to be holding that lottery ticket based on the package of size, hands, vision, uh, and the the odd trajectory that he's taken to get to this point. Right? He's never played structured professional hockey basically until he got thrust into an American League environment. So you cut him some slack for how he's looked there. Um, but make no mistake. No one would pay you a pick of commensurate value with where he was taken, whereas you could easily get a pick of commensurate value with where Stankoven and A2 Rat, uh, Ratu and uh, who was the Maple Leafs guy, Matthew Nyes, mm. like some of the other guys in that second round would easily be go for late firsts or 
really good players. Klimovich would be seen as a lottery ticket. And then Lekromacki is a high-end prospect who's having a tough go. Not ready to be out on him by any means or even be concerned about him, to be totally honest with you. But it's been a nightmare first four months for him yeah. in his draft plus one. I mean, I'm concerned almost more at like a personal level just because it's such a rough situation yeah. you're going through. But you're totally. in terms of like stock up, stock down, I, I hear yeah. what you're saying. His stock's down, but it's not a thing. Yeah, this uh, this text comes in. Uh, they're not going to have a fire sale here, guys. Come on, it's impossible to make trades right now. Give the management team two or three more years to see how the team looks. Benning had eight years. Let's give this management team some time. Well, so and, well, here's the thing. You're not wrong about how difficult it is. We've talked about it, how difficult it is to take this part. Totally. Team apart. And I think it's a bit of a, a red herring or a um, what's the word I'm looking for? A uh, a straw man to say like, oh, you're expecting them to overnight trade all of these players and trade Tyler Myers and move OEL and, and, and get a good return for Brock Besser. No, I'm not expecting that because I know how difficult it is. It is to do what I'm expecting. What I want to see is for them to chart a coherent, serious plan for the future. And that's what we haven't seen. I'm not expecting it to be six trades by the trade deadline. I get how difficult that is. I get how unrealistic that is. But I don't think that's that, – there's, there's a lot of room between that and, you know, staying the course. If we'd seen some moves that began to chart a course toward disentangling this roster, that would be one thing. But instead, we've sort of seen – something more like a soft double down on this roster, right? We've seen this team spend in free agency. Mm-hmm. We've seen this team lock up a 29-year-old core piece to a long-term contract. And we've seen them trade draft picks and prospects for roster players in season. Like, that's not, oh, it's going to take a while to disassemble this roster and we have to be patient about it moves. So, you know, if they were making moves or or not making moves, but in line with sort of a disciplined reset sort of posture then I'd give them yeah I'd give them the benefit of the doubt again, the, the, no but they, this team this team has made win now type moves and came into the season with the head coach declaring in no uncertain terms and I quote it would be a disaster disaster if we miss the playoffs well here we are here we are like they're one in ten odds per Dom decisions model ding Right, So we're on the precipice of a disaster if it's not a disaster already. And I think a lot of people who've watched this team more closely perhaps than Boudreaux over the course of the past decade would say the disaster's already happened. I want to note one other thing. You know, I was starting my career toward the end of the Gillis era. And I've talked about this before, but I read back to my old Canucks Army archives and I was absolutely brutal in my coverage of John Tortorella. (laughs) Like, I was surprised by how brutal Mm -hmm. I was. New management came in. And there were things I was concerned about right off the bat, but that I didn't, that I didn't like absolutely hate, right? Like the Kessler trade, I thought, okay, that actually kind of makes sense to me, even though I think if you're going to do this deal, you should have done it at the deadline, right? Minor quibble, right? There, there were some, you know, I, I'd rather see this team use picks rather than trade them for Lyndon Vay, but Lyndon Vay, whatever. I don't think Vertanen's as good a draft pick as a Nylander or Ehlers would have been, but you know, it's justifiable. He was the second leading scorer among all CHL players behind only Sam Reinhardt. Fine. He deserved to be a top 10 pick. So there were like middling things to be concerned about. At that point, I thought, hey, look, this team's pretty good. They've played well. They've got good goaltending. Uh, the Sedins are still fun. They should be able to win around uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, it makes sense to have another playoff run with the Twins. And the day they qualified for the postseason, they signed Spiza and Dorset. 
which basically there were two things that I hated about it. One was the Canadian dollar was sinking mm-hmm. in value. And I thought there was a real chance that the cap would be flat despite the NHL's rosy projections. Yeah, that's right. This isn't just a bit. I've been doing this for a decade. <laughs> and I thought, boy, there's going to be a lot of free agents better than those guys who signed for a million dollars in one year. And I think these are terrible bets. And the moment those deals happened, I thought to myself, this organization will never win with this guy as general manager. This was such a bad... It wasn't like a hugely disastrous bet, but it was just so outside the realm of what a smart team would do that at that point, I was like, oh boy. And yet, I understood the Dorset market, right? Brandon Prust was like the only real comparable. There aren't a lot of guys who fight 10 times and score 10 times. There weren't a lot of guys who fought 10 times. There was like three of them left in the NHL. This was a player type that was diminishing in terms of their availability. I understood the market price for Derek Dorset. And I wrote that. Like, I, I wrote a piece about how Dorset's value is tied up with the um, elimination of sure. fighting from the NHL, and I was happy with it. And I sort of continued to cover the team without sharing necessarily with my readers. Like, hey, I'm out on this group. I've now seen a move that convinces me that they will never win with this management team. And by the time I really started to criticize the Benning era, it was like the summer of 2016. And I was like, I don't understand the Good Branson trade. I think the Louis Erickson deal is, you know, going to age badly. I don't know about picking Yo Levy over Kachuk. And by then it's too late. By then you're hooped. Like by then the rest of the decade's wasted. So increasingly I, I bring that professional experience to bear here. And there have been a few moves that I think look to me like massive setbacks, like massive red flags for this organization. Um, there were a couple hires along the way that I thought that, you know, certainly had my eyebrows furrowed and the JT Miller extension for me was like, I don't know. I I think that's such a big error that it's going to be hard to come back from. I think that narrows your options to win in Pedersen and Hughes's prime so significantly that you may not be able to come back from it. Like you, you may be you may have punted the rest of the decade. I'm not saying that's absolutely for sure going to happen because it's hockey. It's hard to it's hard to sort of adjudicate the future this far in advance. Maybe JT Miller ages like Joe Pavelski. You know, there, there were things to believe in in terms of like, hey, his playmaking, sure. his, his standout skill, maybe that, you know, at least he'll be good on the power play, whatever. I didn't see him as a center. I thought that was a, a no doubt, make that move, retain future value. I don't like signing guys that age to seven-year deals. I think that's a fool's errand, fool's game, right? Like, the, look around the league. There are, what, 350-ish players signed to mm-hmm. contracts that last more than one year. Do you know the number of them you could get for free if you had the cap space to eat the contract? It's not like 200 of them. It's like 300 of them. Like, almost everybody. Yeah. And when you sign a guy who's not like an absolute superstar core piece to a really long-term expensive deal... That the values jettisoned immediately. The Miller deal for me was like a canary in the coal mine deal, and I began to be a little bit more critical. Again, I don't, I'm not, I don't know that the Miller contract. Sorry, that's not true. I felt the way about the Miller contract the day it was signed, the way I felt about the Spisa Dorset contracts. I did. I really think it's a mistake of the sort that's almost impossible to come back from, but I have to also like. You know, Jim Rutherford to me seems an awful lot more um, competent 
baseline competent. He's obviously got a different type of resume than Jim Benning did. Um, you know, I, I'll give him some of the benefit of the doubt here. But man, I think it's going to be really tough to come back from that. And to, to have signed that deal four months ago and then to have performed like this this season and then to be making additional offers to Bo Horvat. I mean, I think those are real red flags at this point. I do. I, I, you know what? I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna tell the audience how I feel. There's uh, no no tact there. That's just no. That's that's what we're here for, man. That's look. That, there's your answer. It's yeah. Uh, the JT Miller thing. We're gonna be. We talked about it so much last year. We're gonna yeah. be talking about it for years to come. I don't think we need to. I honestly don't like the dies cast. It's gonna keep coming up though. Is what I mean. Yeah. As a, as a as a thing, we you even if it's kind of settled, mm. you're always gonna return to it, right? Well, it's the same thing with the OEL trade. There's, that's settled. There's no debate about it now, but it always comes up because people are always looking at it as well the alternate a, a, universe an inflection point. Sure, yeah. but I mean, honestly, in both cases, the best thing this organization could do, I think, in terms of leading to something brighter, in terms of dismantling this team, like for me, it would be to find ways out of those deals. I mean, if you had someone new come in today and be like, "How do you solve this problem?" If you like hired a management consultant, how do you how do you solve this problem? They'd be like, step one, you got to clear those two guys. Those two deals are too long. Your team's not good enough to have deals for anyone but Pedersen that la- and, and Hughes that last that long. Um, there's lots of text coming in around this subject, so we're going to get to it more later in the show. But I do want to touch on this one. And actually, Dan in Fort St. John texts, how can you not be excited? The Canucks have really juiced their prospect pool in the last couple of weeks. These Pod Colson and Hoaglander guys that they added to Abby look like they could be something. That's from Dan in Fort St. John. And of course, uh, the other piece of news from the Canucks late, late last night, just before the NHL roster freeze, Niels Hoaglander sent down to the Abbotsford Canucks. And look, we've talked a lot about our bewilderment at the usage, the coaching decisions surrounding Niels Hoaglander. He has the sixth best uh, five-on-five scoring rate on the team. That's ahead of JT Miller, ahead of Connor Garland. Uh, we've seen how the Miller, Horvat, Hoaglander line has performed together. Hoaglander, Garland dries when they got one game together. Looked really sharp. He's been good. The bottom line has been then been there, which we've heard as a criticism from Bruce Boudreau in the past. And as a result, or uh, not as a result, but. I guess despite all of that, he will be plying his trade in the AHL. We'll see how long it lasts. I kind of have two reactions to it. One is more bafflement as to how Niels Hoaglander cannot stick, and instead we're going to be seeing Sheldon Dries and Jack Stadnika, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Lane, Lane, Peterson. Lane Peterson in the lineup good ahead last of night. him. My guy. He can skate. He's got some defensive issues. <laughs> well, is he a Vancouver Canuck? How do you know his issues? <laughs> but the other, my other reaction and maybe this is like, uh, I don't know, a Stockholm Syndrome thing or something. But it's like, well, there are probably worse things for a young player than not being around this team right now. That seems like an okay deal. Go have some fun in Abbotsford. Play with Vasily Podkolzin and Danila Klimovich. All right. Yeah, I can get behind that. In a healthy organization, Nils Hoaglander would have spent at least a half season at some point over the last two years in the AHL. It's just hard to do now that he's in a contract year, right? And that he's produced at a really healthy like 30 points per 82 game rate over his first two seasons um you know it, it's sort of one of those complicated decisions now but look it's the holiday freeze so you had to do it last night mm-hmm. and you had to do it late or you couldn't do it until the 28th um I'm not exactly sure how many t- games Abbotsford plays before then but obviously the Canucks will have a forward coming back in Elias Pettersson um presumably this made sense for a variety of roster flexibility reasons now, yeah yeah go ahead 
Sorry, how many games does no, that No, well, I know. Play? I was going to say, I believe they play today and, yeah, they play... They play today and tomorrow, and then they don't play again until the thirtieth and the thirty first. So, so it, it, it could be as little as, as few as two, two games. games. But but it's two games. If you if you're you have any doubt that he's going to play one of those two games, this is the only chance to do it. You had to do it yesterday. So that's really crucial context. We're now in a holiday freeze period. There can be no Canucks transactions that aren't aren't conducted on an emergency basis, like Silov's going back, yeah. or uh, sorry, Shilov's going back. Um, but. And that's until the 28th. The end of the day on December 28th is when the rosters will be unfrozen for the holiday freeze. So that also means no trades. Uh, you can save your trade seagling for, for next month. Now, with Hoaglander, again, I think he should have gone down to the A at some point, for sure, in in his first two seasons. Honestly, in a healthy organization, he never would have started in the top six. Oh, yeah, that was very that was like a, a real surprise coming out of that training camp. And and it was completely because of a lack of other options. Correct. It was either that or Jake Vertanen. Or Louis Erickson. Don't sleep on Louis. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. Now, Hoaglander obviously has some defensive issues that he needs to figure out. I do think there's a sense, and this is, I'm sure, going to frustrate our listeners to hear, but I think there's a sense. No, I don't think. There is a sense among Canucks management that some of these young guys that Rathbone, Pod Coles, and presumably now Ho- Hoaglander are actually better served down in Abbotsford, where they can learn a more structured game than the one that the Canucks are playing at the NHL level. And I think that's uh, a true thing that management feels, and I think it is a painful thing for all all involved, particularly given be. particularly given the investment and the prioritization in player development that's been made in Rutherford's first year on the job. And look, credit to them for recognizing that, if that is indeed the case, right? And being able to make a difficult decision, as you said, come to that kind of painful realization. But I also want to see, like, when you think about what logically flows from that reality, that the situation with the big team is so out of whack, so dysfunctional, that you got to send any young player you can to Abbotsford to get them away from it. Like, okay, you don't solve that situation just by sending those three guys down. You have to do a lot more to remediate the situation with the NHL club. So, again, credit to them for kind of recognizing that and making this decision. Because, like I said, look, as frustrating as, frustrating as it is to see O'Neill's Hoaglander go down, I do get that perspective. But that can't be the end of that problem, right? The end of how you address that issue. Like, that's a massive, massive issue. That's a really telling condemnation of this team and where they stand right now. And it's just another piece of evidence that – Chipping away isn't going to cut it if that's the situation you find yourself in. And of the way they play. But I also think it speaks to the mindset, okay? The mindset of, like, how could you possibly think this could be turned around quickly, right? Obviously, we hear structure so often from Alvin and Rutherford for a reason. Mm -hmm. Their view is that the structure is so poor that it can actually hurt their young players. So imagine the difference they think it can make in terms of winning games if they get this team playing the way they think it should play, right? So that's sort of partly where, I guess, the rubber meets the road or the disconnect meets the road. Like, that's where, and again, I'm not prepared to say they're wrong. I think personnel is the bigger issue, particularly on the back end. Particularly on the back end. But I'm at least open-minded to the idea that maybe this team could accomplish a little bit more uh, with a different voice behind the bench. Certainly that happened last season. 
Like certainly we saw last season the impact that it can make. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see here. But that I think is going to be sort of the next battleground in, in terms of debates over this upcoming offseason is if this team thinks they're close, can a new coaching hire actually get that moving? Because I, I do think we know which way this is trending in regards to Bruce Boudreaux. Well, I mean, certainly beyond this season. And, yeah. and you know, we'll see if it if it accelerates at any point. But yeah, the die is pretty clearly cast at this point for no next season and beyond. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Jack Fraser, J Fresh Hockey on Twitter. You see him all the time on Twitter. He's also a writer at EP Ringside. He will join us next. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. And of course, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line uh, our next guest you follow him i'm sure if you don't you should on twitter at j fresh hockey he's also a writer at ep rinkside he is jack fraser jack thanks very much for making some time for us how are you i'm doing okay how are you guys we're doing great just talking about yet another 5-1 defeat at home for the canucks uh record setting no team has lost more 5-1 home games in a season than the vancouver canucks this season we're uh, we're not even at christmas yet I've heard that. And people say advanced stats don't mean anything. <laughs> Jack, we've been through a lot of these, right? The Canucks were like the first team to blow multiple goal leads four games in a row or five games in a row, whatever it was, uh, in an NHL season. And then there was another one somewhere along the way, and now there's first team to lose five 5-1 five, games at home. Uh, does this reflect how porous the Canucks are as a team, or does it reflect the way scoring is juiced in the NHL at the moment? Uh, that sounds like a bit of a little column A, little column B situation. <laughs> I mean, this, this like porous is definitely a good way to describe the Vancouver Canucks, uh, and scoring is definitely going up. I, I'm certainly not going to come on here and say that scoring is going up specifically because of the Vancouver Canucks, but they're certainly not <laughs> neglecting their contributions to it. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the only real sad thing about this is that you're going through all of these horrible 5-1 home losses and all these blown leads and these losing streaks and everything, and you're not even at the bottom of the league for it. Like, you have right. several teams that are, you know, trying to make your lives miserable in the draft lottery later on in the season. So, uh, hopefully either, you know, the team can improve their underlying play, or, on the other hand, that maybe their odds of getting the local kid will go up a little bit, because you never want to be in that murky middle where you have to suffer through the horrible losses and then just end up kind of near the the bottom part of the middle. Oh, you, you might fear the murky middle, but we were born there in this city, uh, Jack. Uh, with regards to with regards to the Canucks, is this where we're going? Is the is the draft lottery where we are bound to? I know your model was a little bit higher on them than some, perhaps not as high on them as some others, but your model was a little bit higher on them than average. I'd say going into this season, uh, a little bit higher than Vegas even. Um, where have things gone wrong and are we inexorably heading toward the Canucks missing the playoffs and not by a slim margin? Well, where things went wrong for me was that 
the the predictive model that had the Canucks at around a 95 point pace uh, thought that Thatcher Demko was going to be in the Vesna race. Right. Uh, maybe that was an unfair assumption, but yeah, I mean he he had been terrific behind you know awful defenses in the past uh, with this Canucks team, and and this year it seems like maybe things are just slipping by a little bit more than in the past. And and you know that's not to say that I think that Demko is specifically to blame for anything. I mean he's He's been behind one of the worst team defenses in the league, and and it might be bad in a way that the tools that we in the public have available to us can't even measure. Like right. you, you know all those turnovers and cross seam passes and all the stuff that you know Vancouver Canucks fans are very well familiar with. Uh, they don't make a goalie look good, even if you use the advanced metrics that that we have access to. Um, yeah, I, I, I yeah, like like that that has been the big hole in in in, in things because. I, at the end of the day, you know, the, the team's underlying numbers, you know, their goal numbers, everything like that, it's all just kind of slunk back to where it was in the shortened season. Mm. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people, myself included to a certain extent, thought that last year represented maybe a little bit of a, a bump, a progression in, in the, the development of this team. And it just seems like they're kind of right back where they started from uh, with not a, a great idea of how to get out of it. What do the publicly available models, the models that you and Patrick uh, sort of, or the numbers that you and Patrick sort of rely on to measure team quality, obviously individual player quality too, with your incomparable player cards, and and uh, we'll let you plug um, your service at, at, toward the end of this interview because I'm a subscriber and I love it, your Patreon. But but in terms of what your sort of numbers say about the Canucks team quality and specifically the quality of their defense, I'd be curious to contrast it because Kevin Woodley today had a tweet, um, you know, based off of what he is getting off clear sight, uh, suggesting that the Canucks are a bottom three defensive team in, in hockey at the moment. Uh, well, we, we have them second to last. Okay. Uh, in, in so consistent. Against. I, I would say pretty consistent. Uh, he might be factoring in uh, the penalty kill, I mean, the, the Canucks, it's no secret, have the, the worst penalty kill in the league right now. Uh, and, you know, penalty kill is kind of a way where the data that, that Kevin has access to is probably going to be a little more useful than what we do because there's limitations on what, you know, shot location and stuff like that can really tell you about what's going on on special teams, mm. um, which both benefits the Canucks when they're on the power play and, and <laughs> I think probably hurts them a little bit when they're on the penalty kill and, and they're struggling to contain uh, all those passes. Um but, I mean, the diagnosis is right. This team absolutely stinks defensively. Uh, this is not the first time, certainly, that they have stunk defensively in the past couple of years. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the the goals against lineup, the scoring chances against lineup, uh, unless Thatcher Demko can kind of just suddenly snap into his, his, his usual kind of, you know, Vesna contender mode in the back half of the season, I don't think there's really any reason to expect a big change in that category. Well, and the interesting thing for me, Jack, you know, I, I look at the NHL standings right now, and by points percentage, I think the Canucks are seventh worst. And that, that feels about right. You know, Montreal's still above them. I might expect them to come down for the Canucks to be in kind of that seven, eight, nine, ninth worst mix. If the Canucks goaltending, you know, whether it's Spencer Martin or Thatcher, Thatcher Demko or whoever, if it doesn't significantly improve for the rest of the season, do you see a pathway to them you know, getting into the bottom five, right? Like, as you mentioned, the local the local kids sitting at number one overall in this draft is a pretty big prize. Is there a realistic path to them kind of challenging some of the truly dreadful teams around the NHL? I think so. Because if you look at the things that are keeping the Canucks, well, look, not above water, but at least out of the sure. murkiest, darkest parts of the water, uh, it is basically their power play and their finishing. 
their power play, I think it's fair to say, is, is legitimately good. It's usually good. They have talented players, and, and I think that you know those high-end offensive weapons are, are what the Canucks were kind of banking on to, to carry maybe the more uh, untalented parts of the lineup this season. And, and they have on the power play. They rank seventh in power play percentage. Uh, and, and the finishing, you know, obviously Bill Horvat is the headliner, but, you know, guys like Kuzmenko and, and Pedersen, like they really are finishing their chances to, to the extent that, I mean, they're a top three finishing team, like a top three shooting team in the league this year with Brock Besser struggling the way he is. And I don't think a lot of people would have expected that to happen. Um, that is kind of, those two factors are, are, are keeping the Canucks, you know, away from the absolute basement right now. And frankly, you know, if, if you're, looking to prognosticate or project things, those are pretty much, aside from goaltending, the two shakiest things that you could really rest your team's hopes on. Like Those are two things that are maybe more prone to regress than everything else. So I, there certainly is a path for the Canucks to finish near the bottom of the league. You know, they're 27th right now in, in their scoring chance share. Uh, that I don't think is quite bottom five, if I'm doing my math correctly, but uh Still, I mean, just right on the edge there, and, and it would not surprise me at all to see the Canucks in the thick of the uh, the Bedard race when push really comes to shove, especially if pieces start to get moved uh, off of this roster, you know, like Horvat or, or even kind of, you know, removing parts on defense that, that may be, you know, not not the most tantalizing assets in the league, but, but would create openings for even worse players to kind of enter into the bottom of that lineup. Yeah, that's sort of the key wrinkle for me is is how much do they lean into the skid here or steer into the skid so that I avoid mixing my metaphors. Um, because, you know, for me, I'd probably bet the over on like 84 points just assuming that Thatcher Demko is going to get healthy and then and then be far better than he was in the first six weeks and, you know, buying at least a little bit of this team's converting luck because they do have – uh, some above-average finishers. I mean, you you think about Horvat and Kuzmenko. You know, their total goal distance on their thirty goals might be like six. Uh, you know, sixty feet. Right. I mean, at some point, at some point, that's going to matter and elevate their shooting percentage. Not to mention that Pedersen consistently carries one. Eighty-four points, assuming that there are no uh, trades off of the roster between now and the deadline. You taking the over or the under on that, Jack? Well, assuming no trades, potentially, but I would probably guess the under just because I think a lot of the time when you see these teams, like like you said, the, the whole lean into the skid factor. Uh, I mean, I remember last year with the with the Canadians, no one really expected them to to be one of the worst teams when we started the season, and they kind of started on that horrible skid. They continued into it, and then you know there comes a point, and, and Seattle was the same way last year, where I think generally you would have looked at their underlying numbers and said, okay, like the goaltending will probably regress. They'll probably sort things out a little bit. But I think once a team really is kind of out of the mix, that these things tend to snowball a little bit. So I, a lot depends on how the next little bit goes, how early they decide to sell off, uh, obviously injuries and, and finishing and stuff like that. I mean, it would certainly be nice if Bill Horvat scored 58 goals this season, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him settle a little bit below that, which would erode some of that finishing. Um I mean, I see them probably being is in, in that kind of 26, 27, 28 range in, in terms of the league rank, which I think sets them up reasonably well for the draft lottery. I, I mean, it, it, you know, the, the bottom team of the league doesn't necessarily always get that top pick. So I think they'll be in the mix. And, and once you factor in trading guys like Horvat, uh, that only helps their, their cause there. 
in conversation with Jack Fraser. He's Jay Fresh Hockey on Twitter, also a writer at EP Rinkside. And, you know, one of the, well, really probably the only bright spot for the Canucks, I guess other than Bo Horvat, but he's a UFA, so it's complicated. Anyways, Elias Pettersson has been having a, a fantastic season. But, you know, as we start to have these debates about the Canucks' future, I think one question that comes up a lot here is, all right, Elias Pettersson is really good. Is he good enough to be the best player, certainly the best forward on a Stanley Cup championship team? Can he still be the guy that you build your future around? Do you see him as that player or at least having a path to to being that player in the near future, Jack? Yeah, I don't really see any reason why not. I mean, he's he's still young. He he, you know, ranks near the top of the league in a whole bunch of categories. Uh I think his his shot is obviously elite. Uh, he's a great creator of offense. So he's a solid playmaker. He's useful on the power play. Uh, even with less than ideal surroundings, I think throughout his career, he's I think pretty consistently. Even al- although we've obviously seen seen a couple hiccups, he almost always ends up at the right side of the dial. Uh, and and I don't think we've seen him maybe fully utilized in, in all aspects of his game so far throughout his career. I, I mean, I, I've I've said before, like I, I fundamentally, you know, the tragedy of the Canucks is that. Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko really should be the building block of a Stanley Cup contending team, and I, I think it's a, it's a shame that it hasn't necessarily gone that way due to some lineup decisions uh, outside of them. But I, I am certainly confident in Elias Pedersen, and I think he's rewarded the believers this season with with the way that he's performed because I think he's been excellent. Yeah, the Quinn Hughes is the other part of it, of that, right? And I wanted to ask uh, you about him as well. I'm a huge fan of the player, but I also think it's fair to look at what he's done so far this season and say that, you know, his overall impact has fallen short of, of what I and I think a lot of others expected. Is there something to the idea that maybe just, look, he's by far and away the best defenseman on a, a really, really struggling blue line, and it's going to make it maybe a little bit more difficult for him to perform, and even in the advanced numbers for his value to really come through, given the circumstances surrounding him? It might be. I think maybe another way to, to put that, because I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I believe in his tools. I think mean, yeah. it's impossible not to believe in his tools. I mean, the skating, the passing. I mean, I, I would consider him a top three passing defenseman in the league, uh, and, and the numbers certainly support that. Um, I think maybe a different way to, to, to think about that, or frame that is I don't think maybe his game is suited to being the best defenseman on a really, really bad blue line uh, and, and kind of having to do things himself that maybe he's not so capable of, you know, like that if, if he was playing on a different team, you know, it's, it's not to say that, you know, the, the numbers are maybe failing to, you know, adjust for his teammates or anything like that, because, uh, you know, you, you look at the numbers and, and he's kind of trailing behind a lot of his teammates in terms of a lot of these on ice metrics. But I just think maybe he's being asked to do a lot more than he probably would be if he was playing surrounded by maybe some more defensive talent uh, and, and maybe with players who weren't, you know, so prone to turning the puck over or missing assignments or, you know, uh, not really being able to carry their end of the, of the bargain in transition, you know, things like that. I, like, I, I, I agree with you. I, I believe in his tools. I, I am skeptical that he could pick up that kind of two way game that would really elevate him to being one of the league's elite defensemen or, or the league's absolute elite defensemen. Uh, but I mean, we've seen plenty of defensemen uh, who don't have that high-end defensive game who still make a huge impact. I think mean, guys like Roman Yossi and Thomas Shabbat and you know that category of players. And and I just see no reason to believe from his fundamental skill set why he can't be one of those players, which makes it I think extra, you know, 
even more of a bummer to see how much he's been struggling, you know, this season to a lesser extent, a little bit last season uh, to really kind of drive play in the way that we know that he has the talent to. There's a couple things we love to do on this show. Uh, one is I like to get our guests to vet my takes. So I'm going to, I'm going to shoot a take at you and, and have you vet it. Uh, I want you to fisk this and, and just tell me if you, if you agree. I think we've seen the West, the top eight in the West settle. I think we basically know a little bit later than usual, like a little bit further out from American Thanksgiving than usual, who the eight playoff teams will be in the West. I just think that Calgary is going to figure it out and at some point flip spots with the LA Kings. Um, What's your take on how the Western playoff race is shaking out through the first, what, 37% of the season? Well, I, I mean, I really thought the Blues were going to make the playoffs, despite the fact that they were kind of the classic, uh, you know, team that that had the crazy shooting percentage and all that stuff last season. You know, I, I really believed in them. Uh, do the Oilers are the Oilers currently out of the mix? I, I didn't look at the standing spaces. Uh, no, I, I they they may be just outside the playoff picture, but I'm assuming they're in. All right, I believe that. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if they don't eventually find their way in. I, I mean, the, if you look at the five-on-five scoring, I mean, if you look at McDavid and Drysaddle's five-on-five scoring this season, uh, like it really is mind-boggling, like how much the Oilers have had to rely on the, the power play. And I don't think it's because of anything wrong with McDavid and Drysaddle. I just don't think that they've really had the the luck on the offensive side of things at five-on-five. And I think that that will. That will come through. Okay, so I'm so I'm just going to read these out to you and confirm that we're talking about the same team. So we got Stars, Jets, Wild, Golden Knights, Kings, Kraken, Avalanche, and Oilers in the last spot. So the Flames being just out of it, and then the the Blues after yeah. that. Yeah. So Flames, um, Flames, and Kings flip places. That's my take, and that's the that's yeah. going to be the Western playoff picture. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I'm like, I, man, I really thought the Flames were going to be solid this year. Me too. Uh, I, I've been quite disappointed by that. I think that they've maybe fallen into a little bit too much of Daryl Sutter syndrome, where I think he's he's a, a great tactical coach. Uh, I, I mean, the the like he easily deserved the Jack Adams last year. Like the way that he had that Flames team playing, they were just locked in both ends of the ice, playing this up tempo transition game that was suffocating teams on the other end. But, I mean, you just look at the lineup decisions, some of the guys who are getting in there, who are moving up. I mean, Milan Lucic in the top six so frequently. Uh, some of the personnel decisions that they've made. I, and, and you know, people have cited, you know, uh, impatience or frustration in the room. I, I I feel like that may be the other side of the coin there. And, you know, they're, they're minus three in goal differential, and, and that's not contradicting really anything that we're seeing in the underlying numbers either. So I, I would like to see them make the playoffs, but it would not surprise me, like you said, if if this top eight kind of solidified uh, and, and turned out to be what we ended up with, uh, even with the flames outside of it, I got to say. And here's the other thing I like to do. I like to ask our guests, especially our national guests, who keep a focus on a, a wider angle lens, right? Like a, a see the league through a wide angle lens. I like to ask them to give give me their tiers of teams in the West. So, uh, uh, sorry, not in the West, in the specific in the Pacific specifically. Oh goodness, um, the, uh, the your tiers of teams. How would you sort the teams in the Pacific by quality? So I I am very fond of Vegas. It's not gonna. I don't think really surprise uh, anybody that the analytics guy is is a big fan of Vegas. 
Uh, like you said, I, I had them. Uh, I had Vancouver ahead of them in the preseason projections. A lot of that was just their goaltending and their goaltending. You know, I'm not even that surprised that that they found a way to sort it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vegas, I think, would be in that top tier. I mean, I gotta still believe in the Oilers. Like I, they, the underlying numbers are are not good. Like I'm not I'm not going to make any bones about that. Like they are a below average five on five team this year. Whether you're looking at goals, expected goals, shots, whatever. But, you know, I, I really do think that they'll kind of sort things out. Um, Kings and Kraken, again, two teams that I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not in love with the kind of talent they have on paper, but they're making it work. The underlines are solid. Uh, you know, Flames may be right on the outskirts of there. And then, yeah, kind of Canucks, Sharks, Ducks. I, I would probably have the Canucks and Sharks in a similar category, and then and then the Ducks. I mean, Oof. have just been so bad this season. Like it, it really is. You know, there's there's pretty much. I mean, if if you want to talk about the race for Bedard, there's there's three teams that are just on their own level this season in terms of how bad they are, and that's Arizona, Chicago, and Anaheim. And that's not good company. And the Ducks are at the bottom of there. So that's that's never where you want to be. Like if you think the Canucks are a bad defensive team, and again, like I said, they're the second worst defensive team in the league. Like watch an Anaheim Ducks game, and you will be, you know, like thinking about how amazing Riley Stillman and <laughs> Kyle Burrows are within five seconds. I promise you. Uh, our our listeners know that our watchword for how the Ducks play hockey is deeply unserious. They're a deeply unserious team. That it, that has tended to be how we've described Ducks hockey this season, which is disappointing because I actually like a lot of the talent on the roster. But so it goes. Well, I mean, if you like watching goals, then. I would recommend that you watch Anaheim Ducks games. <laughs> the teams playing them do score they quite a few to, of them. They tend to score goals. Uh, hey, Jack, this was awesome. Uh, as I said, you're Jay Fresh Hockey on Twitter. Tell us uh, where the other places where people can uh, follow your work as well. Yeah, Jay Fresh on Twitter. And then I also write for EP Rinkside. I usually write about NHL stuff exclusively, uh, but I'm actually I'm here in my hometown of Halifax, Nova Scotia for Christmas. And I also will be happening to be covering the World Junior Hockey Championships right. here. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, which I'm totally psyched about. So uh, if you want to see game recaps and analysis, stuff like that, uh, you'll be seeing a lot of that in the next couple of days because I've, I've pretty much got my, my holiday break plan, to tell you the truth. The, uh, um, are you going yeah. to the traditional Christmas brawl at the, uh, at the Dome? <laughs> no, I've, I've, I'm a kept man. I, I've kept my distance from the Dome since uh, first year of university, I'll tell you that. that that's probably wise. Well, Canucks fans who are going to be watching with longing in their eyes, Connor Bedard at this tournament can uh, can make yep. sure to check out in your the, recaps. in the early afternoon. I would imagine. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> hey, we really appreciate it. Hopefully, we can talk again soon. Have a great holidays. Sounds like a plan. You guys too. That is Jack Fraser again, writer at EP Rinkside. You can follow him on his Substack as well, and also J Fresh Hockey on Twitter with uh, some great thoughts there about the Vancouver Canucks and some of the other teams around the league. Uh, this text comes in. We're talking about Quinn Hughes there. Says this unsigned text. You Canuck pom-pom boys are such huge Hughes fanboys that you'll overlook the fact he's tiny and can't defend. And after all, isn't that in his job description? So there you go. One thing we are well known for on this show, Drancer, is being cheerleaders for all things Vancouver Canucks. Never a shortage of unhinged optimism on this show. And Look, I've been disappointed with Quinn Hughes' performance. I think it's fair to have questions about what his ultimate ceiling is, right? Can he be a top five guy? Is he going to be more in that kind of top 15 to 20 range in terms of defensemen around the NHL? But he actually can defend. 
He actually can defend. Just because he is small does not mean he is a poor defender. Do you want to see more impact on that end of the ice? Sure. This idea that he's like a comical defensive liability in his own end? No. Ridiculous. Well, the, the, that I've seen some people saying that Horvat's you know, well below average defensively and stuff, and it's like, no, Horvat can hold up in tough minutes. He's not below average defensively. He's just not a defensive driver. Right? Have you noticed this, by the way? Because Horvat's unsigned, because Horvat's unsigned, and because this is playing out just so, you've all of a sudden got this pack. Like, team positivity's almost turned to, like, attacking Horvat. The, the word stat chaser has been thrown around a lot. And, and you know, uh, sort of all of a sudden there's this new focus on the culture in the room and the need to switch it up and on and on. And it's just because... <laughs> the club hasn't prioritized getting that deal done considering what he's produced ridiculous well the funny thing about that too is you can like, you can be disappointed that it's playing out this way without railroading yeah and, one of this organization's most loyal soldiers like you, it's ludicrous you don't need to pad your it. case for trading horvat right like if you want the team to trade horvat you don't have to attack the player at all it has nothing to do with bo horvat the team should trade bo horvat correct you're 100 percent correct about that you don't need to invent reasons to like tear down Bo Horvat's performance to no. come to that conclusion. It has nothing to do this with what he's doing on this the guy's ice. having a historic season. So so like I don't understand too the 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 same people who will tell you just enjoy the hockey while while you're covering a bad team will then tear down a player scoring at a franchise record pace. It's like just enjoy the goals. That actually makes more sense then just find joy from watching a bad team with no direction. Anyway, just a just a just a bug that's been in my bonnet over because <laughs> I love wearing my bonnets uh, over the course of this week. Classic bonnet guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> sick new era bonnet, bro. The other thing that I wanted to pick up on there that uh, Jack mentioned is you know our our kind of running debate about how low is the floor for the Canucks in the standings, and I th I would say Jack more on my side in that debate. Uh, oh yeah, it's fair to say. And one of the things he mentioned was just this idea. Demko's of... going to come back and do Demko stuff, though. You know it. Right away? Have you ever right away? have you ever watched a Canucks season? I know. You I think know. you think this team's that's, gonna lose see, out? That's your strongest argument there. Like <laughs> it's nothing to do we with know the talent. What, we on the know team. how this goes. This team's gonna win no, 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 fifteen of their last twenty. But he made the point about, you know, the, the the sensation or the phenomenon of just like the bottom falling out and it eventually becomes completely unsalvageable for a mm -hmm. team. And I will say, you look ahead to the schedule after the Christmas break. The Florida trip. Well, even before the that, annual Florida trip, so they get San Jose, okay, at home. That's nice, right after the yeah, Christmas. The Florida break. trip that's a nice used one. to be a nice trip for teams. That's now a nice, it's brutal. That's a nice warm up. Here's how it goes after that San Jose game. Well, they play Winnipeg two more times at Winnipeg, at Calgary, Islanders, Colorado, at Winnipeg, at Pittsburgh, at Tampa, at Florida, at Carolina on a back to back, back home, Tampa, Colorado, Edmonton on a back to back. That's brutal. That is a brutal, brutal stretch. Those are all, I believe, almost all of those teams, with the possible exception of Florida and, I guess, Calgary, in playoff spots right now. A lot of, like, legit Stanley Cup contenders in there. That is an absolutely brutal stretch. And if you're wondering if that kind of, what he's talking about, just where it, you know, the bottom completely falls out and it becomes unsalvageable, that's the kind of stretch that can do it. How many weeks have we been without Demko now? Two? Yes. So, so he's going to come back at some point in that stretch, you would think. Pro, uh, you'd imagine for the home stretch. Yeah, you would imagine after the Florida trip. Probably travels on that Florida trip, but I don't think you want to like 
put a guy back in against the Panthers no. or like or the Lightning. <laughs> the second half of a back to back against Carolina. Ooh. Probably not. What oh, you that's the do. second leg of a back to back against yeah. with a like a twenty two hour turnaround. Hey, save save that thought on Carolina. I want to come back and discuss Ethan Bear because I have a theory on the on the comment about having fun that I think is uh, I think has been. Um, I, I haven't talked to him about it, but I have a theory about what he actually means, and I think it's far more about hockey than it is about culture. So let's let's come back to that All when right. we we'll come back. We'll get into that on the other side, plus lots four. of text I want to get into as well. Final segment of the show coming up. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. I was detailing... The Canucks brutally difficult late December and early to mid January schedule. And by the way, I was counting it up. So the prognostication for Thatcher Demko was expected to be out about six weeks. You count that up, that takes him to January 13th, which would be the day before the Florida and Carolina back to backs. So yeah, you're you're probably looking at the 18th against Tampa as kind of a reasonable ballpark time to see Thatcher Demko again for the Canucks well and you'll see I mean I often talk about hockey players as Wolverine in the playoffs right partly a return timeline can might might it be can change it, it could be expedited if the team's you know does well here like you beat Seattle you beat Edmonton you you win one of the games in Calgary or Winnipeg right I mean that might change your sort of timeline in terms of how urgently you get Demko back in net I hope not. I hope not, too. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a good idea. Particularly given the way that, uh, you know, Demko was overused and then injured last season and then performed early this year and then got hurt again. Yeah. I mean, man, it's they've already committed a bunch of like draft capital and salary cap capital and all of that to this season. You can't be risking your players long term, your key players long term performance and health. agreed R- rushing them back for this kind of season so, you wanted to make a point about the carolina thing yeah i wanted to get to e- ethan bear yeah. uh, i know uh, he told ian mcintyre that the group has been having too much fun and that they maybe needed to get a little more serious and i think the implication there obviously that that everyone's taken from it is that you know culturally this team needs to focus up I wonder if Bear was talking about the hockey side of it, right? Bear comes from Carolina, mm-hmm. where they played what they call, what Brindamore calls, stress hockey. And stress hockey is the concept that we play simple and stress you out, right? There's a very predictable set of principles, rules, where the puck should go in various situations. They don't worry about entering the zone with control. Very rarely do players have the green light to freelance. It's very different from Bruce Boudreaux's uh, up-tempo aggressiveness, right, in terms of, like, you know, Bruce Boudreaux believes in pressure too, but he goes about it in a different way. Make plays with the puck, right? Four-check aggressively. 
Um, well, and there's often a difference between your your mentality when you don't have the puck and your mentality with the puck, right? For sure. You know what I mean? Like, you can be a very prescribed, hey, when we don't have the puck, you better be doing X, Y, and Z. Oh, but when we have the puck, if you're one of our best players, we're going to give you a lot more freedom. No, but the Carolina Hurricanes don't even do that. No, they don't. I know. But that's what I'm <laughs> saying. Like, that, the, the, fr- the method I described, I think, is pretty common around the right. NHL. Carolina is the aberration because even when you have the puck, it becomes much more rigid what they're what they're allowed to do. They're the aberration in the regular season, but come playoff time, most teams start sure. to play like them, right? That's that's one theory for why their advantage dries up a little bit in the playoffs is that all of a sudden everyone's playing that game. But during the regular season, the fact that, that you know Brenda Moore is able to keep everyone disciplined to do it over eighty two games. So I sort of just wonder because I've I've had conversations with Ethan Bear about how they play in Carolina, about the differences here, whether it suits his game better, and I've actually heard him use the term. Um, you know, this is this is a more fun style to play. And so when I'd heard that commentary, I sort of wondered, what if he was just talking about hockey? What if he was saying, hey, we're freelancing too much here and we need to dial it back? And it wasn't actually a reflection of how the team is off the ice, but in fact is his commentary on what they need to do to get winning games on it. That was sort of my takeaway. Now, obviously, it wasn't there for the conversation. I, I wasn't part of it, but that was sort of uh, something I'd wondered after hearing the um, the quote, is it so? Basically, you're saying maybe it was almost Ethan Bear's way of saying the team needs more structure. Yeah, <laughs> on the ice, yeah. right? It's an interesting it's an interesting gloss on it, right? And you know, we have texts coming in saying, "Oh, hey, does this um, does this kind of validate?" Remember the the country club la- country club atmosphere thing got thrown around last year by uh, Nick Kiprios at our sister station in Toronto. Does this validate that? I mean. I don't know. Uh, to me, it's just I find it hard to believe that a team that is playing like this is having a blast off the ice in that practice. Like I, I it's hard for me to wrap my head around. Yeah. It, does it speak to something else happening with the you know quote unquote culture, the vibe in the room? I don't know because I'm not there. All I can judge is what I see on the ice. I, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The differences between how the Canucks play and how the the Carolina Hurricanes play. I mean, I I also wouldn't be surprised if there's just an element of frustration, a big element of frustration when Ethan Bear makes a comment like that, right? Like, of course they're incredibly frustrated. They lose five one all the time on home ice. How can you? They get booed off the ice on a regular basis. Hey now, hey now. Sometimes they beat one of the worst teams in the in hockey in overtime. In overtime, yeah. So so what are we at by the way? What's the counter? We're going to be up to 26 days since a regulation victory when the Canucks host the Seattle Kraken who have never defeated them in an NHL game. And if they lose both of those games or win either in extra time, you know, on the 22nd and the 23rd, then we will have gone a month. We will have gone a month between regulation wins. To me that's everything you need to know. About where this team's at. I pointed this out on Twitter last night, but they have fewer regulation wins than either Arizona or Philly. Yeah, just do something hard at this point, right? Like, the thing about making the playoffs is it's not as hard to do as the Canucks make it look. Half the league makes the playoffs. It's a really hard league to win big in. Mm -hmm. But, like, there's teams that aren't even playoff caliber that make the playoffs every second season. There's teams that are really good. That, you know, fall apart for no reason, like, you know, the Islanders did last year, or like Vegas did last year. Well, no, we have this conversation, not you and me, but like everyone from a hockey perspective, every year before the season, when you're kind of choosing your playoff teams, right? And you'll say, like, I think Team X is going to make the playoffs, and somebody will say, oh, I don't know, their defense is, is not very good. 
teams with bad defenses make the playoffs all the time. Crummy teams, deeply flawed teams make the playoffs all the time. That's not a reason you can't make the playoffs. Increasingly, though, you can't make the playoffs with a really bad defense. That, that's just a, a thing I chose at random. No, I right? know, You know I what I mean? People point out a flaw Sorry, in you the just, team. you just happened to hit on a hot yeah. button for me. The NHL, be, no, but you know the NHL I mean? game has changed. You used to be able to make the playoffs, I think, with a far lesser defense than you, than sure. you need now. Today, today, in today's NHL, a, a defense that can move the puck is the equivalent to having a good offensive line in football. Like, you can get away with a spotty offensive line if you've got Josh Allen, but otherwise, good luck. Yeah, or right? Patrick Mahomes. Or, right. Yeah. Whereas, whereas you know, uh, Jared Goff gets to look like, I don't know, Valerie Nachushkin. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, it's outrageous how good he looks behind one of the best offensive lines in football. So, you know, to me, it's like structure now comes down to how well you can move the puck. If you can't move the puck, you are dead in the water in the contemporary game. Every team now is built like the 2011 Canucks. Like, there's no there's no teams that aren't. All of them can move the puck. If you're good, you're moving the puck. Period. I don't think you can find me a really good team that can't. And you can tell when you find it, when you when you're watching the Canucks play a team like St. Louis, who can't. And by the way, the best teams, Colorado, New Jersey... They just move it the best. Mm -hmm. They're the best at doing it. I mean, honestly, it's just outrageous to me. Anyway, uh, we were talking about something before this. I don't know. <laughs> were we? <laughs> <laughs> well, you were making the point that, no, you. I made the point that they have fewer regulation wins than either Philly or Oh, Arizona. I thought that was you a really good saying... point. I almost, I almost included your tweet in my column, but then oh. I was like, nah, <laughs> I'll see him tomorrow. <laughs> It just goes to, like, those teams that had zero expectations. I mean, Philly exists in this kind of weird alternate dimension as well. But I don't everyone, think, everyone sorry. outside the of Philly expected them to be brutal. Philly is the bizarro Vancouver. Yeah. Like, these are, you know, not original six teams, but signature franchises in the NHL, right? Big markets, top 10 revenue teams. For whatever reason, they are not permitted to do what every other team would do when faced with the circumstances that they've been faced with the last five years, right? These are deferred rebuilds, teams that have been bad for a long time and yet refuse to do what's necessary. Uh, they cycle through coaches. They cycle through management. Nothing ever changes. They are the exact same team. The, the, the Flyers are Canucks West or Canucks East. The Canucks are Flyers West. Flyers West. You know the other thing I was thinking about? Just right like, right down to the like, hey, nothing's working. Let's hire John Tortorella. <laughs> the last gasp. Hire John who, Tortorella. Who calls, out, who calls out his players before even meeting them. Yep. He tried to fight another coach. And he's on his second job since. Is that not wild to anybody else? It is. Okay. It really is. Don't worry. Uh, and now he's in a... Uh, you know, a battle, a public battle with Kevin Hayes there as well. Anyways, after sitting him. But the, you know, the, the other thing I was thinking about about a rebuild with the Canucks, one of the things we get from sometimes from listeners is like, hey, why are you guys so talking about the future and talking about, you know, the salary cap and all this and trades rather than talking about, you know, what's happening on the ice? And I agree with that. Now, I don't agree with it in that we should be ignoring those other things. I would love to exist in a world where our focus could be more strictly on what is happening on the ice, right? And if we were covering, you know, the, a team that was third in the Pacific and looked like they were poised to go in a deep playoff run, that's exactly what this show would be. But you know what else? Even if this team was actually rebuilding, like actually rebuilding, I think we would be able to have 
so many more conversations that were about actual hockey stuff happening on the ice. Like, if we were covering Montreal this year, we know they're not going to win the Stanley Cup. We know they're not going on a deep playoff run. But we also know what direction they're going, so we don't have to spend that much time debating it. You know what we'd be talking about? We'd be talking about... Kirby Doc. Cole, Goff- Cole Caulfield's performance this year. What can Arbor Jacki actually do on a really good team? Where does he need to improve? What signs of improvement have we seen from him? Is Kirby Doc a long-term fit? What's Nick Suzuki's ceiling? What's what's he need to do to get to that ceiling? We'd be having hockey conversations about that team because they've answered a lot of the other big picture questions, which doesn't mean that that doesn't come up as well, right? There's still room for criticism or room to ask questions about how they execute it. But yeah, like if your priority is to, man, I don't want to worry about all this salary cap stuff and the future and the doom and gloom. I just want to focus on the games, focus on what's happening on the ice. A rebuild's better for that too. A rebuild would allow us to more clearly focus on the ice because right now it's like, what, we're going to talk about Connor Garland's game? They're trying to trade him. They're they're, they're desperate to trade him. He's not going to be here in three years. He's not going to be part of the next great Canucks team. I, I... I've always been a big Connor Garland fan. Like, I've always admired the player a lot. His play away from the puck the last week has been appalling. Like, not it's so clear at this point that thing outside of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, and we talked about them with Jack Fraser and, like, okay, where the state of their games, can they be top of the lineup guys? But outside of that, it almost feels irrelevant from a future perspective <laughs> also, to talk you, about the games of the other players right now. Do you like how I was like, Okay, let's talk about that guy's that guy's form has been bad. <laughs> like, who else do you want to talk about? That guy? Uh, he's been bad without the puck. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, and, and again, it's want? like what even if if Connor Garland gets a little bit better away from the puck in yeah. the next couple of weeks, what does that mean for the Vancouver Canucks? Nothing. Yeah. That's what it means. Luke Shen avoids mistakes, but he also takes a lot off the table offensively and probably shouldn't play in top pair minutes as a result. That's let's focus on the ice. Yeah. Let's do it. We know that. Let's do. Let's. We do, know that. Let's do five minutes of this. <laughs> Ethan Bear, I've liked him. I just don't think he's sufficient to upgrade this defense on his own. What do you think's going wrong with Oliver Ekman, Larson, and Tyler Myers this I, year? I wish I could. I wish I could tell you. But again, it doesn't matter. Is it just age? Probably. <laughs> I like them both as people. It's just they. They were so good. For Boudreaux last year. After the Boudreaux hire, they played at such a high level. Like One of the reasons I didn't really believe that the Canucks could sustain the Boudreaux bump was that those guys played at like a, a you know certainly a top four level, maybe like a high-end second pair level. And I was like, oh, I just don't see them sustaining that over the course of a full year based on what we've seen from them in recent seasons. And, but but they've even then they've been below my expectations. Oh man, the drop off has been more significant than I think you reasonably could have expected. Yeah, based on what even we saw me last year. like yeah. even me a hundred percent. This one comes in. Uh, I'd rather forget about the games, not discuss them further. <laughs> but that's where I'm at. Honestly, is that it's not just man. I wish I could cover a winning team. I thought Brock. I wish Besser, I could cover a rebuilding team at this point. I thought Brock Besser had jump last night. I'm I'm gonna stick with this bit for the rest of the show. I actually I'm I'm quite enjoying it. I thought Brock Besser had some jump. It just didn't matter because the team didn't play well. The team did not play well. Yeah. This and is, now this oh. is this is Canucks talk. Now we talk about the Canucks on the ice. And by the way, two of the other guys that you could like plausibly make a case for Playing for being well? important. No, no, no. For being important to like the long term future, their actual on ice production or performance being important to the long term future of the team are now not playing with the team. They're in Abbotsford. 
Niels Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin. All right. So you can't even analyze, oh, is Niels Hoaglander improving the defensive end? How's Vasily Podkolzin coming as a playmaker? What, how's you can't Vas even do that. What's Vasily Podkolzin's counting stats up to in uh, in Abbotsford? Because I, I think Niels Hoaglander is going to pick his teeth with American League competition. I really don't think this is the worst thing for Niels Hoaglander. I think he's going to destroy. You're not going to like this. Well, because it's not good. Five points in nine games. That's not great. That's not good. It's not, but you know what? You know what? You're one two-point night away from me being like, that's really good for a 21-year-old. So it's still too small a sample, but yeah, it's not what I'd have expected from a player as good as Pod Colson is, it, I think Pod Colson can be. That said, I've never thought Pod Colson is like really good now. I've thought he has a ton of potential because of how hard he works and how unique his profile could be. Yeah. I mean, so that's always been my, I've, I've always thought like, when Pod Colson is an impact guy at the NHL level, I don't think he's going to be an impact guy because he scores 30. I know he's got the loud tools, but I don't think he's going to be like a top-end set setup man, and I don't think he's going to be a 30-goal scorer. I think Pod Colson, if he hits, is going to be an impact player because of his two-way value, because he can help you drive, because he can maybe even be a heavy press considering his size, um, his intelligence, his work rate. Right, like I think Pod Colson's going to settle in and be like a penalty killing guy and a guy who can add some physicality and hopefully complement some skilled mm -hmm. players in your top six. Otherwise, be a guy who can provide some secondary offense on your third line. That's a hugely useful player, particularly if they're a large man who works hard, like who works constantly, and he does. So I'm not expecting Pod Colson to be dynamic, but at the age of 21. What do I expect? I expect him to at least hit 0.7 points per game over the course of, say, a 15-game sample. Would I like to see him destroy? I would. But, again, I don't see him as having – like, I don't see him as having as much offensive upside as Niels Hoaglander could. And even Niels sure. Hoaglander, I see as more of, like, if Niels Hoaglander hits, I see him more as, like, a less versatile Kelly Yarncroft middle six guy as opposed to being – you know, a high-end offensive producer. If Niels Hoaglander was a high-end offensive producer, he'd be a star. I see him as sort of more in that, like, 40 to 50-point mold. A complimentary player. A, compl a complimentary player yep. who, can, who can help you drive offense. Now, Hoaglander, though, I think will chew up the American League. Destroy it. Yeah, we'll see how see how long he's down there, but I could see that very easily happening. Yeah. As well, a, at least two games. At least two games. Because I, I, like, the difference is, Vasily Podkolzin wasn't producing at the NHL level either, right? Right. Hoaglander well, is. Like, this isn't a struggling player in terms of offensive production going no. down to the AHL. He's putting up points at oh, the NHL level. If this team actually wants to win games, Miller, Horvat, Hoaglander is this team's first line. If you really are serious about wanting to win games, that's your first line. Period. Period. It's by far their best combination. Now, does it leave you with that, what exactly would you say you do here, third line of Besser? Um, tries Garland. Tries Garland. Yes, it does. But, yeah. how? So, sorry. Hoaglander, Garland, and Dries power that win over the Flames. Yep. And have we seen Hoaglander nope. in the lineup since? How's that possible? Well, we've seen Hoaglander in the lineup, but not with, because he would have played on Saturday. Okay, he did play on Saturday. But because of the Besser and Pedersen absences, the lineups got shuffled. Got it. Right? And then he's out, Besser comes back in, and he's out against the Blues. But it, 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 it... I don't know what to tell you, man. Does that seem absurd to anyone else? I don't know what to tell you. Am I going mad? Like, is it me or is it the whole world, Jamie? I need to know. Because that 
makes zero sense to me. That's two plus two equals five stuff. Uh, this guy comes in and says, you guys, you could talk about something directly re- relating to the game, you know? He's like, yeah, I was just... Just That's all we've done. Just for 20 addressing minutes. that criticism and talking about it. And 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 you know what? Having done it for 10 minutes, I don't think it's interesting. Honestly, like at the end of the day, I talk about what I know. I talk about what I know. And and what I know best. Analytics, th- like theory, the cap. <laughs> and then and then like inside reporting. Like I, you know, and and trying to trying to bring you a sense of, of who these people are as best as I can you, grasp. You've it. got your takes on guys though. Oh yeah, but don't, my don't ta- sell yourself short. No, but my I, I obviously have my takes on guys, but those takes aren't as reliable as my like cap analysis or yeah, my yeah, reporting. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I know I'm not a talent evaluator. Hey, never, never too late to add a new skill, man. Yeah, no, that's not one I'm going to be adding. I <laughs> don't have, I don't have, a, I don't know enough, but I have fun doing it. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah, I like do. if we were covering a, it's a really a good point. Team, it's a totally different day to day discussion around well, this team. Look, and if we were covering a rebuilding team, it's a totally. We just different talked about discussion. half the roster, and it was like a fun way to kill time with a buddy. But it's like, <laughs> you know, we can do better talking about yeah, where it, this team it's, is it's and where all they're going. Small potato stuff compared to the big picture thing. That's right. that's my point. It's it, it doesn't matter until they commit to what needs to be done. Well, let's. I mean, this is a challenge that I've been going through covering this team day to day, or like writing about games, like. Honestly, it feels like most of these results don't matter. I mean, that's a hard thing for me to do, but based on my insistence on focusing on the big picture, at the end of the games, I'm I'm sort of going through it and looking at the standings and looking at how the team played, and I'm thinking, it doesn't matter that they beat the Arizona Coyotes in overtime. Like, that wasn't a good performance. That's going to do it for us today. We will be back tomorrow to talk more about the games or other stuff or whatever. Whatever we feel like. On ice only. On Canucks Talk. Uh, You've got it. On the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.